I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 16 today. And if you uh, pick up one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 977. God's Word says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at this passage over the next couple of weeks, uh, Lord willing. Uh, and today we're going to kind of back up and look at it generally and some of the, some of the ideas that are communicated here in this passage in, in Ephesians chapter 4. The motto on the great seal of the United States is the Latin e pluribus unum, which means out of many, one. And this motto, of course, refers to the union between the states and the federal government. There are 50 states that have bonded together that make up our one great nation. Well, this motto, e pluribus unum, can also be used in reference to the church. We are many, but we are one. Paul has been expressing this in Ephesians chapter 4. The chapter begins by uh, Paul exhorting the Ephesians to live a life that corresponds to their gracious calling from death to life, from being alienated and on the outside looking in to becoming uh, a part of the people of God, being included in, being adopted in, coming from darkness to light. Christ has called these people, called us into uh, his kingdom, into his body, into his uh, church. And now Paul is answering the question, how can we as Christians walk in a manner worthy of, of our calling? What, would, what should correspond? How, we should have a life that corresponds to this gracious calling that we've received. We talked about that last week. Paul says the first way that we need to live uh, in response to what Christ has done for us is to, uh, to maintain our unity in the church. We can only maintain that unity by bearing with one another in love, with all humility, gentleness, and patience towards one another. Because let's face it, we're all sinners. And uh, we get on each other's nerves. And sometimes we don't like one another. And Paul knows this is going to happen. And he's telling us, look, 
bear with one another in love. Be patient. Uh, be gentle. Be humble with one another. Now, of course, this is impossible for us to maintain by our own efforts. We, we, we don't have it in us to do so. But we must continue to remember Christ and the calling that he has placed upon us so that we might live worthy of that calling. It motivates us when we think about what Christ did and how he bore with us, how he showed gentleness and humility and patience towards us who had rebelled against him, who had sinned against him, and he loved us anyway, and he's called us to ourselves, and so it makes a difference in how we treat one another. We should be one. So in verses uh, 4 through 16 of chapter 4, Paul begins to explain why unity is so important. Uh, He begins his explanation with an illustration. There's one body. Christians are all part of one single body. People from every tongue and tribe and nation throughout the world are the body of Christ. And we are here at First Presbyterian Church Biloxi one expression of the body of Christ. So we're kind of a body within the broader body uh, of Christ. So there's one body Christians are part of this single body and we must maintain unity because we are part of one organic whole. We are not individuals doing our own thing. We are part of something much bigger and something that is singular. Each individual Christian is part of the body of Christ. Each Christian is filled with the same Holy Spirit, Paul says. Each Christian is looking for the same single hope. That, that hope that's an anchor for the soul. Uh, we all have the same Lord. We exercise the same faith in Christ. We are all initiated into the people of God through baptism. We are filled with the same Spirit. We are under one God and Father of all. We are one. We are not many. There are many of us individuals, but we are united together as parts of the one body of Christ. And if that is true, Paul is saying then we should live out that unity in the way that we treat one another. And that's the message of verses 1 through 6. So obviously, Paul has been stating our oneness. He uses the word one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism over and over again. He uses it seven times in verses 4, 5, and 6. Now in verse 7, he uses the word one, but he's no longer stressing our unity. He uses the term each one of us, every one of us. Uh, He is not pointing out how we are one and the same. Rather, he is pointing out how we are diverse. He's stressing our diversity. The change in thought is signified by the word but at the beginning of verse 7, which is the passage that we took up this morning. That word but signals an exception to what has been said before. It's as if Paul is saying here in verse 7, even though we are one in the body of Christ... Each one of us individually has graciously been given gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift, as it says there. We are one, but we are all different because we've been given different gifts. So diversity. We are unity, we have unity, but we also have diversity within that unity. Now the diversity is not a detriment to our unity. On the contrary, our diversity serves our unity. And look at verse 12, where Paul points out a particular class of spiritual gifts. And we'll get into this more next time. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are members of the body of Christ who have been given leadership, 
preaching and teaching gifts. This is a specific class of people. And it's probably not a good word to say class because that implies a system of hierarchy. But that's not the case. People like pastors and teachers have been given certain gifts just like other people in the, the church, the body of Christ, have been given, been given different gifts. But he's pointing these partic- this particular group out and, he, and then he tells us why they have been given to the church. To equip the saints, verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, he's talking about one specific set of people within the church, but that same thought is true of everybody in the body of Christ. We all have spiritual gifts. We may not be preachers or teachers, but we have spiritual gifts, and, and we need to use those gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, someone with the gift of hospitality or the gift of mercy uh, or, or the gift of encouragement is just as important in the body of Christ as the person who teaches and preaches. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has the same thought. He tells the Corinthians, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So he's stressing their unity and diversity. They have a lot of different gifts, ways to serve, uh, different activities that they can be involved in, but it's the same God who's given these gifts. And then he goes on to say, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Your gift is for everyone else. It's for the common good so the church can be built up. Well, Paul's use of this term body is a perfect illustration of the point. We have one body, and uh, the body has many different parts. Uh, Each part has a different function. That's well apparent to all of us. They don't, you know, the parts aren't the same. They don't look the same. They don't perform the same function. The eyes don't look like the ears. They do different jobs. The eyes see, the ears hear, but one is not necessarily more important than the other. Indeed, in order to have a fully functioning body, uh, each part must do its job. When all the parts fulfill their function properly, then the body as a whole functions properly. In order to have a healthy body, all the parts of the body must be working together by fulfilling their own individual purpose. So the point Paul is making is that each individual has a gift from Christ that they must use for the body to be healthy. Every Christian has a function within the body of Christ, and it's only when everyone, all the different parts, are working together using their individual gifts uh, for the body of Christ that the body is healthy. Only then. Indeed, the church can't grow properly if each part isn't functioning according to its purpose. Each individual in the body of Christ is important and must exercise his or her gift or the church just won't be healthy. That's the general summation of verses 7 through 16. Well, now let's look at the text more closely and just pick up a few details uh, that we we can highlight and I think that will bring the point home uh, better for us. 
First of all, we see that the body has been given gifts. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. First point is this, gifts have to remain gifts. We have to remember that these are gifts. They were given to us. It's not something that uh, we conjured up within ourselves. It's not something that uh, we, uh, you know, worked at and tried to develop and just thought, hey, I'm going to do that. That's, that's not a spiritual gift. Christ has given each one of you, each, each one of us, a specific gift or gifts. It's given. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And in the first half of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul made the point that Christians are saved by grace. That is, by the free gift of God. It's not deserved. It's not earned. It's not by our works so that no one can boast or brag about what they did to earn or deserve God's favor. Nobody did anything to earn or deserve God's favor. Only is just wrath. But God in his grace saves us. Well, verse 7 makes the same point about how the body functions, the body of Christ. Each of us has a function within the body of Christ, and that function has been given to us by grace. It's a free gift. That means we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we shouldn't be boastful about it or use it as an opportunity to be prideful. Some jobs within the church may have a higher profile, but that does not mean the individual is better than the rest or that one job is more important than the rest. We would tend to think that about, of course, the preacher. He's up here every Sunday preaching, and you might think, well, that's an, you know, that's an important... Well, it is an important job, but it's, it's not necessarily the most important job or, or more important than the jobs that each one of you have. For the body to be healthy, each part must do its job. Each part must fulfill its function. So there's no room for arrogance in, in, in the church. There are no big shots in the church. There shouldn't be. And we shouldn't use our spiritual gifts in a, as an occasion for pride or self-righteousness or self-importance. And, and preachers, because of the public nature of the ministry, are the worst about this. You know, we, we have a temptation to think, well, I really knocked it out of the park this week and you know, I've done a great job. I, I, I. See, that's the problem. We should stop and say, you know, this gift I've been given, this call that's been placed upon my life is a gift from God for you, for the people. And I need to be sure to do a good job at it and to ask for God's help as I do it from week to week because if left to my own devices, it will be a disaster. As many of you can probably attest, hopefully just sometimes. But... When you have arrogance or pride in your spiritual gift, you've forgotten that your function within the body is a gift from Christ. You have that job because Christ gave you that gift, gave you that job. The Apostle Paul is a great example of humility and never spiritual pride. He had a very important part in the body of Christ. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And then if you flip back to chapter 3, verse 7, he talks about it. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He's saying the same thing. It's a gift of God's grace that I was made an apostle. It was given to me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the attitude we should have. That we are just astounded that God would let us have the opportunity to serve him with our gifts and our abilities that he has given us, that he has allowed us through giving us these things to use them for his body, even though we don't deserve it and haven't earned it. And Paul reiterates the gift aspect in verses 8 through 10. Uh, He's talking about uh, when he ascended on high, he's talking about, uh, well, he's quoting from Psalm 68. He's talking about the ascension of Christ. When Christ ascended, he, he sent the Spirit, and the Spirit brought gifts to give. In Psalm 68, this quoted, you have a picture of a conquering king uh, who has received the spoils of his victory, and now he's sharing out those spoils with his soldiers. And so what, what these verses are referring to in 8 through 10 is to Christ coming to earth to die for sinners. And once he conquered sin, death, and hell, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And verse 8 is literally translated, he led captivity captive. We were enslaved to sin. We were captivity. And we we were conquered by sin, but Jesus reconquered us for himself. We were captives to sin, but now we're captives of Christ. He's our new master, and our new master has shared out the spoils of his victory. He has given us gifts. Paul talks again about spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. And he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And that's what we're talking about. These are gifts. It's not your, not your natural ability. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one, an- one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. They're gifts. Now, since we've been given gifts, we need to remember that they're gifts, but we also, as he just told us in Romans 12, we should use those gifts. Gifts have to be used. There's no idleness within the church. There's a book that's been written that says, church is not a spectator sport. You know, we think we can just come and and sit in the pew and you know, from week to week and just be entertained. But Christ is calling us, Christ has gifted us to have a function within the church, to do something for his kingdom. So gifts had, had to be used. Now, we just had Christmas a few weeks ago. Well, it's almost a month now. I'm wondering if anybody here has some nice wrapped presents that they just haven't gotten around to opening yet. Now, I would venture to say that there's not one present that is sitting at your house left unopened. We tear into those things. We want to know what they are. Well, here's the Bible telling us that Christ has given us gifts. And we, we, it is absurd to think that we would just keep it on the shelf, that we would not open it, that we would not uh, see what it is, to understand it and to use it. Every Christian has been given a gift But there are many who do not open and use their gifts. Christ has gone to the trouble to give each one of his gifts. We should uh, put those gifts to use in the church. Every single person that's a Christian has been given a spiritual gift. There are no useless parts of the human body. 
except for maybe the appendix. Uh, we're not sure what that's all about. But there are no appendix, there's no appendix in the body of Christ. You know, you can't say, well, I'm the appendix. You know, you could cut me off and it wouldn't matter. No, every part has a function and is important. And we all have a gift to use. We must open, develop, and use our spiritual gifts. And, and that brings me to third point. Gifts have to be developed. When a baby's born, it has all the parts. Uh, if it's a healthy, healthy baby... However, not all the parts function at the optimal level when, they're, when a baby is born. A baby can't walk. They have legs, but the legs haven't developed yet. They haven't gotten enough strength yet. Uh, they, they, they need to start moving around and building up strength and to eat and to be fed until they're big enough that they have developed strength and coordination and can actually walk and run and jump. And it takes some time. So it is with our gifts. They have to be developed. And as we mature, we should see ourselves better able to exercise our gifts. It comes by practice, by using the gift, by the mutual encouragement of one another. Uh, as you encourage, you should see yourself learning how to do it better, for example. Uh, as, you, as I've preached, hopefully I've gotten... I mean, if you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me 20 years ago. Terrible. But I, I have improved a little bit. Gifts have to be developed. Whether it be preaching, teaching, hospitality, generosity, mercy, service, whatever it is, it has to be developed. And we can do it always better and better. And the best way to develop them is by use and practice. Well, it's vitally important that we get what Paul is saying in verses 7 through 16. It's vitally important that we use our gifts. The health of the church depends on it. And that brings me to the second point. The health of the body depends on each part. In verses 11 through 16, he's speaking of the growth of the church, the growth of the body of Christ. He's saying, to put it simply, the gifts that each one of us has been given is for the growth of the church. It's not just for yourself. It's for the whole church. Look at verses 15 through 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. So, first of all, each part is important, as we've noted. There, there's not an appendix. Everyone who is joined to Christ is part of the body. We are joined together in Christ. We're part of one another. And each part must work properly so the body will grow. You are important. You may not be in the most prominent place, but the Bible says here that you are important and the health of the church depends on you exercising your gift. This goes for every last one of us without exception. Each part of the body of Christ is of vital importance. Now, there's different levels of maturity. Some of us are babies in the faith and toddlers in the faith. Some of us are more mature Christians. And, and so depending on that, we'll be able to exercise our gift accordingly and with more skill, maybe. Uh, but all of us has a part to play. All of us have roles to fill. Each part is important. Each part is also necessary. We need each other. You need for everyone else to exercise their gifts and everyone else needs for you to exercise your gift. See, your gift 
is not really your gift. You think about, think about the nature of, of gifts, the, of spiritual gifts. Your gift is the church's gift. You haven't been given a spiritual gift for your own edification, but for the building up of the body. Your gift is my gift, and my gift is your gift. And if you've got the gift of encouragement, you know, you're just not going to sit around encouraging yourself all day. You're to be in the church encouraging others. If, you're, if you've got the gift of mercy, uh, it's not just so you can be merciful to yourself. That's absurd. It's so you can come and, and be a part of the body of Christ and exercise mercy on those around. And then there are other people who will be using their gifts to encourage you. So if I decided one Sunday morning that I just didn't feel like preaching, you know, you all showed up, and I just said, I don't feel like using my gift today. Well, you, you would have a, you would, somebody may, may step in and preach. Uh, you may sing some songs and pray and go home, and that would be all right, but you wouldn't be as edified and built up as you should have been if I had fully exercised my gift. You all need me to exercise my gift faithfully so that you can be built up and grow in your faith. Well, I'm using myself because I'm the most obvious illustration here. The same is true for every one of us. If you decide on certain days to not use your gift, it will not be built up and grow as we should in the body of Christ. Everyone who is a Christian is dependent on every other Christian for their growth. Don't dare think that there's another Christian that you don't need. How many times in the church do we see this kind of sinful attitude come shining through? One person looking down on another. One group looking down on another. You have cliques in the church. And, and, the, and the body is divided. One person, one person or portion of the church should not look down on another person or portion of the church. The church cannot be healthy in such an environment. You know, some people have diseases where their body literally uh, starts having a war with itself, you know, you know, antibodies attacking your parts of the body, and, and the, the body's in a mess at that point when it starts fighting with itself. And the person who's in that needs some real help real fast or they're going to die. Same is true of the body of Christ. When we're fighting within ourselves, we can't be healthy. So we need, to, we need preachers to preach and teachers to teach and encouragers to encourage and so forth and so on. And, when, and we need to know that we need one another. And we have responsibilities toward the other members of the body. And, and only when those parts are functioning properly can we, can we grow and be healthy. So out with pity, uh, self-pity. Uh, you know, poor pitiful me, I'm, I'm just a small insignificant part of the body of Christ. No, you're not. You're very important. And out with this no confidence. You know, use your gift. You are important to the body. We need you. And Lone Ranger Christianity, you know, the Lone Ranger, you know, he was always on his own. How do they call him the lone? He had Tonto. He wasn't really alone. I mean, he had somebody with him. So, Lone Ranger Christianity. We're not just on our own. We're not just doing it by ourselves. You can't, you know, some people say, well, I, I just worship in the privacy of my own home. And I do it, you know, do whatever I do, or worship in the privacy of my own golf course is usually what happens. Uh, but, Listen, you need to be with the body exercising your gift because other people, when you're absent, don't get the encouragement, don't get the benefit of your spiritual gift when you're not there. So we're, no, we're not long rangers. We need, 
one another, and we're all necessary in the body. Uh, John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, uh, has, a, has an interesting picture. Um, the full quote is, is on the front of the bulletin, which I'm going to read. I've given you part of it in the outline. Lastly, Paul shows that by love the church is edified to the edifying of itself in love. This means that no increase is advantageous which does not bear a just proportion to the whole body. That man is mistaken who desires his own separate growth if a leg or arm should grow to a prodigious size or the mouth be more fully distended would the undue enlargement of those parts be otherwise than injurious to the whole frame? So you think of a person and their arm is, you know, huge and the rest of them small. That, that's not healthy. You know, if someone's got a big mouth but the rest of their body is under, it's, it's, it's strange and it's not good. That's what, what Calvin's saying. So if we say, I'm just, I'm just in it for myself to grow myself, then you may grow not as much because you're not depending on the use of other people's gifts, but it's not healthy for the entire body. We should grow together. In like manner, if we wish to be considered members of Christ, let no man be anything for himself, but let us all be whatever we are for the benefit of each other. This is accomplished by love, and where it does not reign, there is no edification, but an absolute scattering of the church. And that takes us back to the first couple of verses, back to our unity. You know, to be one, to be a healthy one, we must exercise the diversity of gifts that we have in the body of Christ. He has given us everything that we need to grow and to be healthy. He has given it to us by His grace. May the Lord help us understand how we can function within his body, for his glory and for the benefit of one another. Let's pray together.